Greetings humans and welcome to Lefteris Ask Science edition number 11. In this edition of the podcast, we will discuss questions like are we alone in our galaxy? How can someone begin to even estimate how many other civilizations are out there and what does that mean for us here on Earth? I will be doing this with Professor Tom Westby and Professor Christopher Consolis from the University of Nottingham in the UK who recently published an article entitled The Astrobiological Copernican Weak and Strong Limits for Intelligent Life. Now, don't get scared, we will discuss what these terms mean and how these researchers came to the conclusion that there are at least 36 other civilizations within our galaxy. Now, before we get into the podcast, housekeeping is in order. If you want to help, you could share the episode and subscribe to the podcast and give it a rating wherever you hear your podcasts, and that would really help tremendously. Also, if you have any questions or suggestions, please go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Lefteris underscore asks and use the hashtag Lefteris asks science to do so. And now you can also send me an email at Lefteris at Lefteris asks.com. Pretty neat, right? On with the show now, where I discuss with Professor Westby and Professor Consolis. I'm uh, Tom Westby. I'm assistant professor from University of Nottingham, UK. Uh, I uh, work within the teaching of uh, physics and engineering and mathematics to students, but also have been conducting some research with my colleague, uh, Professor Chris Consolis. And I'm Christopher Consolis, professor of astrophysics at the University of Nottingham. Uh, my research is typically on galaxy evolution and formation. Before we dive in and start understanding methods and terminology in their paper, I wanted to find out how can someone that has this question in mind even start his research. I quickly understood that the search for extraterrestrial intelligence means that we're looking for alien civilizations that are capable of having technology that could be detectable for us here. So in the same way we are emitting radio waves to space, so will they. And that's where we start in order to find out if we are alone in our galaxy. Of course, this is an age-old question uh, that philosophers have, have, have grappled with for millennia about whether humanity could be alone in the universe. Uh, and I suppose really the first, the first stepping stone towards a, a scientific answer to that took place uh, in the 1960s with Frank Drake and his legendary equation that of course is very well known to, to any popular reader of, of astronomy, the, the Drake equation that sets out the various parameters upon which we may be able to make an estimate of this number of, of intelligent civilized species coexisting in our galaxy at one time. But of course the Drake equation is famously based on parameters that are really beyond the scope of, of scientific inquiry, they're much more uh, human-centric, sociological questioning uh, estimates really, such as what proportion of all life may we deem as being intelligent and what proportion of intelligent life may we consider capable of, of radio broadcast. These are parameters that uh, don't really fit neatly within uh, the rigorous uh, explorations of astrophysics. So I suppose our ambition was to try and reimagine re uh, a Drake-like equation uh, in such a way that it could be analyzed uh, in the framework of modern astrophysics, where the parameters are much less speculative and much more based on solid evidence and solid observation. The assumption we make is simply that if a star is old enough and has a planet in the habitable zone 
and can survive for about 5 billion years, then we make this assumption that intelligent life will form on that planet. And that's a big assumption to make, but that is really kind of where you have to start this kind of calculation. And if you make that assumption, then basically all the other terms, if you will, that you might want to know about, we already know in the last decade. So by making that one assumption, you can actually start coming up with some real numbers that you can then test and compare with what SETI might eventually find in terms of how many civilizations, communicating civilizations might there be in, in the galaxy. So now that we started exploring, let's dive to explain a bit of the terminology especially the Copernican weak and strong image, which help frame this work. Copernican idea is essentially goes back to Nikolai Copernicus, who, who was the first person in modern times to make the claim that the uh, sun was the center of, the, of the, uh, the universe and that the earth was not. Okay, and Of course, we know that he's wrong about the sun being the center of the universe, but he was more right than he was wrong in the sense that the earth was certainly not the center of the universe. And progressively through time, we have realized that we're not special in the universe. So why should we not also apply this to the formation of life? So this is the whole idea of the Copernican principle, astrobiological one, which is that our, our life, our existence is not special. And therefore, if you have the same conditions under which we form, You'll form it again other places within the universe and within our own galaxy, which is the focus of our paper, with our own galaxy itself. So that's the whole idea about the Copernican principle. And we have a weak and a strong case. And the strong case is simply where life forms really exactly the way it does on, on, on Earth. That you need a certain amount of time, you need a certain amount of uh, content of elements, not like we call it metallicity, but elements like carbon and nitrogen and oxygen. And uh, the life would form exactly the same time. We give a range of about a billion years, but around five billion years you form intelligent communicating life. And the weak one is simply that it takes at least that long to form intelligent communicating life, but it could take it could take longer. So you have until five billion years up into the age of the star, and sometimes that can be 10 billion years. So you can have up to five, uh, five billion years of time in which to form um, and a, a communicating intelligent life. So those are the two the two principles that we looked at. So, strong case of Copernical principle, life in other stars begins exactly the same time as it began here on Earth. The weak is that it takes at least that long, so 5 billion years, until the age of the star. Consequently, when we uh, look at our, uh, the process of, of, of deriving our estimates, we expect uh, uh, much smaller estimates about a more conservative end of the number of intelligent civilizations coexisting uh, to belong in the strong, uh, the strong category. So the, the sort of main published headline result of 36 that you may have read uh, comes from our very most conservative strong uh, estimate there, where we are demanding exactly the same length of time, exactly the same metallicity, the same chemical recipe, the same conditions uh, that we've enjoyed here on Earth. Of course, as we relax those modeling assumptions into the weaker cases, if we get more generous with our estimations, then those, those values do rise. So in the beginning of the show, we talked about the Drake equation and how it was the first step in estimating the number of communicating alien civilizations in our galaxy. 
This equation had seven parameters that one needed in order to get an estimate of the number of civilizations which humans could communicate. These parameters were the mean rate of star formation, fraction of stars that had planets, the number of planets that could support life, then the fraction of those planets that could develop life, then the fraction of those planets that life develops intelligence, then the fraction of those planets that develop communication, and lastly, the mean length of time that these civilizations can communicate. So now, how about this new equation? Is it this complex? To some extent, I think uh, our, our new equation and our new method is, is uh, rather simpler, perhaps, than Drake's original uh, method, which contained so many parameters that will be familiar to your listeners, I'm sure, such as the fraction of stars that, that host a planet and the fraction of those planets that may host the conditions for life, etc. In a sense, we, we simplify the analysis and also base it on more of a, an astrophysical footing. So we look at the fraction of all the stars in the Milky Way which are sufficiently old so that we know based on our own example that there should have been stability and for long enough time for life to get to get started. We look at the fraction of those stars which we know have the right chemical richness, the right metallicity so that uh, there's more than just the hydrogen and helium there to get started with. We know that life requires at least carbon, nitrogen, oxygen to get started. And really, of course, for intelligent, advanced life, it's really hard to, for us to imagine a life form without access to copper and iron and such like, certainly if we want them to produce things like radios. Uh, so so uh, we've then analysed the, the fraction of the Milky Way stars that seem to be chemically rich enough. Uh, and then, of course, the, the the third main ingredient, which would not have been possible uh, a few years ago, uh, of course, was was getting a really realistic fraction of the uh, of those stars which have an Earth-like planet in its habitable zone. This would have been completely in speculative realms until the the real explosion of data from things like the Kepler telescope and all the brilliant analysis that's been done in recent years. But now we've got this large cohort of 4,000 plus exoplanets to probe and we can get a, a decent estimate of the, the fraction of those planets which are sufficiently Earth-like and su sufficiently habitable in their, in their zone. Uh, and so, of course, they are the three main sort of astrophysical quantities upon which this, this estimate rest, rests. It's true to say that there is still one uh, element, which of course is is for now beyond the realm of, of of measurement, and that is the factor L, as it was in Drake's original equation. This is the average lifetime of a communicating intelligent civilization. Well, without ever meeting them, we can't possibly get an average. But uh, but what we do in our work, of course, is we uh, is we use our own example to at least draw a bare minimum on L. Now. L being the, the lifetime since becoming radio communicable, as it were, round about a, a century ago, around in the time of Marconi and, and a lot of his contemporaries. So we say at least we know from our own example, L has got to be greater than 100 years since we started sending out our signals about that time ago. And we haven't, fortunately, gone extinct just yet. With measurements and results from modern technology and with information that we now have about our galaxy, Professors Westby and Consolides managed to have a more realistic estimation of the communicating civilizations in our galaxy. Of course, with more data, the error bars in their calculations will be much, much smaller, uh, but their equation is a step forward. 
Now, in their paper, they also discuss the likelihood of communicating with other civilizations. For me, I think that's one of the most satisfying uh, endpoints, really, because uh, as, as, as mentioned, the, the one great speculative value that this, this does rely on is, is the L value, the famous L value from Drake's equation. As I say, without meeting intelligent life, we can't possibly draw an average of, of our lifespan. But the nice thing is, of course, our equation can look at the potential distance between civilizations as a function of L. And so obviously, if, if L turns out to be larger, then you would expect them to be more plentiful in the galaxy. And consequently, the, the distance between neighbors would be smaller. And so when we plot distance as a function of L, we then ask the question, well, how long do we have to exist for then post Marconi, as it were? How long do we have to survive post our radio advent uh, in order that really Earth falls into the expanding radio bubble around our nearest neighbor, if you like. Of course, the, you could picture this bubble of radio communication expanding from our nearest neighbor. But of course, that bubble is only so thin in the sense of the years of which they were broadcasting before they may have gone extinct. And so the probability of us finding ourselves now at the, at the moment in time when Earth is intersected by that relatively thin bubble of a radio communication is, is very small indeed. So in a sense, it's quite satisfying that our equation does point away towards uh, a, a retort really to the, the Fermi paradox, this idea that, yes, we have been doing SETI active searching for a few decades now, but, but why have we heard nothing? Well, I think if you look at the, the, the possible uh, expected value for L that we would need to have in order for us to intersect that radio bubble, it's in the most generous case, it's in the order of about 3,000 years. So it's still, I think there's still time for searching before we can rule it out. What was even more fascinating for me was how the existence of extraterrestrial civilizations actually mirrors our existence here on Earth and how long can we expect to exist. By looking for the um, SETI throughout our galaxy, we're able to, to actually measure L, but that also re refers to us in terms of our own lives lifespan. So if we do find tens of thousands of civilizations that are actively communicating uh, with radio technology or whatever technology through our galaxy, that would be a really good sign that that L has to be large to have so many. So really the density of the civilizations correlates strongly with L. And so by looking for the density of the civilizations, we're getting some idea about L and the higher we find the density, the longer L is. And that gives us some hope that actually our L the lifetime of our own civilization could could be quite long, could be longer than, you know, hopefully longer than a few hundred years, a few thousand years, who knows. So by looking for these, the SETI, we're actually looking at our own future and looking at what might happen to us simply by this assumption that that intelligent life would be able to communicate, but also would be able to destroy itself or perhaps destroyed by some other astrophysical process, like, you know, a big, uh, big meteor or gamma ray burst nearby supernova you know there's all kinds of things out there that can destroy us so by looking for this we're really looking at our our our, our future and and so they definitely correlate with each other and so yeah the longer l you have the the uh the more you you would expect as this was the first time i was discussing with astrophysicists i always wonder if research like that is ongoing 
Is there something else that they would want to do to continue this research? I would be uh, would be keen to explore uh, further from using this same method. Uh, one thing, of course, that this this paper does really is just to process the overall average uh, expectation values in each of these categories. But I think there is scope to to regionalize the analysis rather more in rather more of a fine grained way. For instance, it turns out that the region in which our solar system resides uh, is a very fortunate spot in 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 terms of the the proportions of metallicities within the stars there. So I would be very curious to see if we could recompute the estimated distances to to neighboring civilizations within our local region of the Milky Way, we might find there's more optimism and more cause for uh, continuing SETI with the with renewed figure if 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 it turns out there's there's more potential for close by neighbors there. But then likewise, I suppose really an ultimate dream would be to try and remove even more of the sort of human centric uh, speculation that that has to go into this discussion to to base it even more firmly on more deterministic astrophysics where where the modeling is based on solid laboratory and and, and telescope observation where something else that i've been thinking about is is looking at um, other galaxies for more advanced sort of technologies so you have two trillion galaxies in the universe and so it seems likely that there would be if there's no life in our own galaxy that life exists in some other galaxy and and the way to find that might be through some kind of alien um uh um, astroarchaeology something like that or astroengineering whether they have built structures like a dyson sphere or have altered a galaxy in some way for their own purposes probably for energy generation and we might be able to see that somehow now this would assume that these are much more advanced technologies than we are. So the L would have to be in those galaxies, or at least for those civilizations, very long. But if L is, even if it is probabilistically prob- very short, a few hundred years, then if it is does have a distribution where some, some actually do survive for a very long time um, and others survive for a very short period of time as a technology, then you would expect with two trillion galaxies that you would, could find some where they got lucky in terms of surviving for a very long time, and you might be able to see that in the structure of the galaxy or the, the light coming from the galaxy itself. So I think that's a very fruitful way for, for answering this question in, in, a, in a different way than looking at our own galaxy. And that's it for the 11th edition of Lefteris Ask Science. I'd like to thank Professor Consolies and Professor Westby for their time and very nice discussion we had about life in our universe and our origin as intelligent life in the universe. I hope you enjoyed this edition of the podcast. If you did, please share it around as it's the best way for the show to grow. You can always contact me on Twitter at lefteris underscore asks and email me at lefteris at lefteirisasks.com. Until we meet again, take care, keep learning, and be kind.